Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. We come, Father, in that name that you have given us. The name above every other name. The name before whom every knee will bow. At that name, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. We come in that name. We thank you that you have given us the right to use that name and to come to you in that name. And I pray, Father, this morning, your presence would overshadow us, that you would touch our ears with that blood of your precious Son, that we may hear what you have for us today. It may not be the same for each one, but you have something for everyone. Help us to hear, Lord. Touch our eyes, O balm of Gilead, that we may see what is hidden in your word. The mystery of the gospel. Those hidden for ages from the saints that went before us. But in these last days has been made known to us by the very spirit of God. Open our eyes, Lord. Speak to us. Teach us. Empower us that we may walk in what you speak. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We've been looking at uh, two sides of marriage. One, between a man and a woman, and above all, which is restricted to this life. Because Jesus said there is no marriage in heaven. So all those who are planning to get married in heaven better get married now. Because he said there is no marriage in heaven. Okay, It's only the wedding feast of the Lamb. And then even more is the marriage of Christ and his church. So even if you have decided to be single, please listen because Christ's bride is the church. Okay. They overlap. And those who are married, listen carefully because he is the way. He's shown us how to live together as husband and wife. He has shown us how to build a home. Connected with that last week, we had looked at a few steps. The first thing I said was, three times in the New Covenant, once in the Old Testament, the Bible says, the just shall live by faith. Live by faith. So it is impossible for a child of God not to bring faith into your marriage. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the word of God. You cannot take faith out of marriage. I will do the rest by faith, but marriage, I will make the decision. No, you cannot. Faith has to come in. God has a person for you. He will speak to you, whether to be single or to be married. And if to be married, he has somebody for you. Somebody for you. Please remember these things, okay? And God can be very, very tough in those decisions because he has a specific plan for everyone, okay? For me, the interesting part is that Abraham and Sarah were renewed in their old age. She was 90 and Abraham was 99 or 100. So when Sarah, Isaac was born, Abraham is 100 years old, Sarah is 90 years old. And we know Sarah died at the age of 127. That means when Sarah died, Isaac, her only child, was 37 years old. 
Why would God take the mother out who would want to see the wedding of her only son? Because she was such a strong influence on him, she would have messed up his marriage. So God took her out and gave him three years to get over his mother. And then he gets married because the Bible says after he got married, he was comforted about the death of his mother. Please understand, when God said, man shall leave his father and mother, he said, I meant it. I meant it. And Isaac is pivotal in my history, and I don't want his good mother. You see, when you get married, you don't need two mothers. You need only one. Okay. You don't need uh, that scripture. I guess you got what I meant. So, God is very clear about these things. So, please remember, marriage is very, very important for God because it is something that reflects something in eternity forever. God and his relationship with Israel, which according to Jeremiah, ended up in a divorce. Okay? And then Christ and the church. Second thing I said is that you need to surrender. Romans 12, 1 says, offer your bodies. If God gets your body, he gets a soul and the spirit along with it. So surrender. Okay? Before and after marriage, there needs to be a daily surrender. The third most important principle I mentioned was that unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it does not live. Don't get married to live. Get married to die so that you can live. If you come to live, your marriage will die. You come to die, your marriage will live. It's a principle. Next thing I told you is for those who are unmarried, friendships are important. Cultivate right relationships. Otherwise you will get unequally yoked. The crowd you move in is important. Because ultimately you will be marrying somebody whom you met. Whichever setting. So be sure you move with the right crowd. If you are a chicken, you walk around with ducks, you will get married to a duck. If you are a chicken, walk with chickens. If you are saved, let all your close friends be saved. Walk around with unsaved ones, you will end up marrying an unsaved one because that's how you will start seeing the world, thinking about the world and like Pastor Vijay said at the end yesterday, I mean last Sunday, you will end up opposing yourself. Today I will conclude that with two points and then we'll go to the second part of the of the message. Because I didn't finish it last time. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. That's the first verse I have for today, right? For we are his workmanship. Whose workmanship? Created in Christ Jesus. The actual Greek word, from that comes the word poem. If you know literature, the highest form of literature is poetry. The highest form of literature is not fiction. It's not short stories. The highest form of literature is poem. And that's why most people don't read it. Because to read it, you need to understand it. And it's difficult to understand good poetry. 
the highest form is, is poetry. And the Bible says we are God's poetry. Okay. We are his poem. Meaning of all that God has created, we are his poetry. Created in Christ Jesus. So what's the point? It means learn to value yourself. It doesn't matter what you wear. When you came to God, you were created new in Christ Jesus. Made new. By God himself. Every day when you wake up and you surrender, the altar is doing something to you. You are being more and more and more and more being sanctified. You may not realize it because all when you look in the mirror, you see the defects of your body. But the word of God says you are being renewed inside from glory to glory. That's that new person. It's a new creation. He or she is a new creation in Christ Jesus. I think I gave that verse, right? Matthew 23, 19. Fools and blind, which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? The altar sanctifies. You have to keep on doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it, and you never know. It's easier for men to understand it. It's like kick-starting your bike, which refuses to start. You kick it, kick it, kick it, kick it, kick it, then suddenly, vroom, and you take off. You keep surrendering, 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 surrendering. One day, it happens, and you take off. Okay, Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Why? Because the power is in the altar. The altar has the power to change your life. Matthew 22 and verse 39. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Listen to two Saturdays back Q&A. And I said a fundamental problem with people is that they do not really love themselves. Therefore, they do not love their neighbors. You need to learn to love yourself as God loves you. You need to have a real good estimate of who you are. And we are not talking about being a narcissist. No, we are not talking about a genuine evaluation of who you are in Christ Jesus. Because, why is it so important? Nobody else will value you higher than you value your, yourself. If you demean yourself, the world will demean you. If you look down upon yourself, the world will do, look down upon yourself. So you need to have a genuine evaluation of who you are in Christ Jesus. And the price that was paid for you, for your redemption. You know why? Otherwise you will throw yourself away. To the first man or the woman that comes around. Because you don't value yourself. Put a price tag on your life. Put a price tag on your marriage. You know what? I will not sell myself short or cheap. God has got a man for me. God has got a woman for me. I am willing to wait. I'm willing to wait. Have a good, okay? You need to have a true estimate. Don't overvalue yourself either, okay? The reason is that if you get anything cheap, 
you don't value it. One of the fundamental things which parents need to teach children. You know why children don't value anything now? Because you got it all cheap, free. A generation has changed. A generation back, you got nothing cheap. You got nothing cheap. You got it, you had it. And you're very, very careful how you handle what you had because you knew the next set came only a year later. If you get something cheap, you will not value it. So if you give yourself away cheap, the other person will not value you. Remember this. Okay. Remember the price that was paid for you was not cheap. You and I were not redeemed by gold or silver. We are redeemed by the most precious, if you want to use the term, object or material ever. The blood of God's own son. His very life, his soul was poured out. So be very, very careful about these things. Okay. So, and the final thing for today before we go to the next part is Ecclesiastic 3 and verse 1. And then Hebrews 6.12. To everything there is a season a time for every purpose under heaven. There is a time in God's calendar. We don't go by the Julian calendar. We go by the Jesus calendar. Go to office by the Julian calendar. But make your decisions in life according to the Jesus calendar. God has got a time and a purpose. That's why Isaac was willing to wait. Jacob was not willing to wait. And he goofed up. Isaac was willing to wait. And his marriage is one of those best marriages you will see in the kingdom of God. One of the best marriages because he was willing to wait. There is a time for every purpose under the heaven. Last two Saturdays we've been looking at time. If you haven't listened, find time to listen about time. Okay. Hebrews 6.12 that you do not become sluggish. Imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. God has a promise for you. To your appointed season, he will bring that man or a woman in your life. It is God who said, it is not good for man to be alone. It's he who said. So wait. By faith and patience. You need patience. Okay. Don't look at the clock or the other clock, the biological clock. Don't worry about all that. Okay. If you go by the biological clock, Sarah's clock had shut down. <laughs> Needles were not moving at all. God wound it again and started it. And we have Israel as a result, a nation that will be there all eternity. One nation. That's name will never be taken out of ever history. Temporal or eternal. A nation called history. Which actually came through the womb of a woman who was dead. So don't worry about biology. Just see that you move in God's timing. Pray to be at the right place at the right time with the right person. Right? You can be at the right place and the time is wrong. We saw that yesterday. Jerusalem is a wonderful place to be in. But at a spring, when kings go to war, if you stay at Jerusalem, you will fall in Jerusalem. 
So pray, Lord. Right place, right time, I meet the right person. You will make it come to pass. Trust for a miracle. Because he's still a matchmaker. Trust for a miracle. Okay? And one beautiful example in the Bible, not about marriage, but how God does, is Luke chapter 2 and verse 25. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, You see, we don't know where he was, but he had been given a promise. Patiently he's waiting. He's been told, you will not die until your eyes have seen Jesus. You know what? He was somewhere else. But on that appointed day when Jesus was brought as a baby into the temple, the Holy Spirit moved him, said, go. Right place, right time. He meets the right person. He takes the baby and says, now my eyes have seen. Let your servant depart in. So you look over there. You will see there is a God. Trust the spirit of God. Listen to the voice of the spirit God. Believe in the promises he gives you. And wait. Most difficult thing for man to do is wait. 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 Be still. And know that I am God. Now we will go back to today's message. And we go back to the text we had begun with. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. For this reason man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So it's about those who are married and those who want to get married. And this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. This is for everybody, whether you're married or you don't want to get married. Okay. So there is marriage between two individuals and then there is marriage between Christ and the church. So it applies to everybody. So when you are thinking about this with something that is eternal or temporal, remember this is the prayer we pray every day. Matthew 6, 9 and 10. In this manner, therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If that's your prayer, how would it be in heaven? So let it be in my life. For this purpose man shall leave, cleave, and become one. For this purpose the church shall leave and cleave to her bridegroom. Christ and the church shall become one. As it is in heaven, let it be on earth. So once you have made the right choices, trust God. Okay? Trust God. It's very serious. Like I said, wedding is for a day. And for wedding, you have planners. Wedding people plan for weeks and months and spend money like water for a day. Nobody really prepares for marriage, which is for a lifetime. If people gave the seriousness of what they took for the wedding, and applied that same seriousness for marriage, all marriages would thrive. 
God is not a wedding planner. He's a marriage planner. So you have to remember the seriousness of how God looks at marriage because it's about his son and his bride. Therefore, marriage is called a covenant in the Bible. It's called a covenant. When God entered into a relationship with Israel, he called it a covenant. We call it now an old covenant because there is a new covenant. If the new covenant wasn't there, it would still be called the covenant. So God, when he enters into a relationship with Israel as a nation, looks at her as a woman, he calls it a covenant. When Christ enters into a relationship with his bride called the church, he calls it into a, calls it a covenant, a new covenant. He says through the blood. Marriage is called a covenant. Remember all of our weddings we use, it is not to be entered into lightly, but fearfully, with reverence. Why? Because of the nature of a covenant. The conditions of a covenant. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 15, where the first covenant is made with a man. God makes. With that covenant, you have both the old covenant and the new covenant with that man. Because in Genesis 15, Abraham, who is the father of the uncircumcised believers and the circumcised believer, God makes a covenant. And in him is the old covenant and the new covenant. So God tells Abraham about the seed he would have, basically talking about Christ. He says, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? He said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him, cut them in two, down the middle, placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. He did not do that. And then... It came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. Not a contract. Not a contract. He made a covenant with Abraham. This is the beginning of covenants. A marriage covenant. The beginning of a marriage covenant. God and man. Now to understand this covenant, we need to go to the book of Jeremiah. Where Jeremiah explains what does this covenant mean. I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant. Who have not performed the words of the covenant which they made before me. When they cut the calf in two and passed between the parts of it. The princes of Judah, the princes of Jerusalem, the eunuch, the priests and all the people of the land who pass between the parts of the calf. I will give them into the hand of their enemies, into the hand of those who seek their life. The dead body shall be for meat for the birds of the heaven and the beasts of the earth. What does it mean? You know, when they made the covenant in the old days, when two parties came and made a covenant, okay, primarily covenant, they cut the animals, put it in two pieces. And there was, you see, this blood flowing in the middle. And the two parties walked through the blood saying that if either of us break the covenant, our condition should be like this, cut away from the land of the living. That is how serious a covenant was. So when God is making a covenant with Abraham, he puts Abraham to sleep. He does not allow Abraham to walk. 
He walks alone has fire on that blood, saying that whether you break it or I break it, and I will not break it, I will die on your behalf. The covenant was made. Jesus now has to come and die because it is sealed. Marriage is called a covenant. Marriage is called a covenant. You cannot have a marriage unless there is death. There is death. Something has died. Something has died. That's how serious God is about it. In a contract, two people come together based on mutual gain. And if there is no gain and there is only loss, the contract is dissolved. But in a covenant, two people come together for loss and not for gain. Each person is willing to suffer loss each person is coming to, willing to suffer loss. That's the difference between a contract and a covenant. And marriage has become a contract. If it is loss, I'm dissolving it. Because I, there's no gain for me in this. What is the point? But God says marriage is not a contract. Marriage is a covenant. You can't bail out. Can't bail out. Hang in there. Stay there. A new life will come. So there are three covenants. The first covenant, if all of you sitting over here, the first covenant you made is when you got saved. You entered into a covenant with God. That is John 1.14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why? He became man. And dwelt among us. What did he do? He suffered loss. The eternal God restricted himself and became a human being as part of the covenant. He entered into a covenant with man by becoming a man. And what does that man do? In Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. What does that man do or that woman do? He says, I too choose to die in this relationship so he can live. Christ says, I choose to die so that she can live. She says, I choose to die that he can live. That is the first covenant, the salvation covenant. And the salvation covenant is sealed by a ceremony called baptism, which is a ceremony saying, I have died. I have died. When I rise up, I live no longer for myself. I live for my spouse. That is Jesus Christ. The salvation covenant. The second covenant you have is again symbolic. Same ceremony. Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. And those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. To who's them? The church. So the second covenant you and I made is to the church. We were saved and added to the church. You made a covenant with the church. And that covenant is not to be taken lightly. It's a very serious covenant. I know the number of people who have gone back and broken the covenant they made with the church. I'm not saying GDC. I'm saying the church of God. You cannot go back on that covenant. 
You have to remain faithful to the church all the days of your life. God may move you supernaturally from one church to another, but he doesn't move you out of the church and say, you be a loose electron. There is nothing like that. You're breaking your covenant. Breaking your covenant. You made a covenant when you got baptized that you are part of a church. And Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 5, again brings the principle of loss in this covenant. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem the others better than himself. Once you have entered into the covenant of the church, you always think about the others and not about yourself. What is in here for me? No. What is that I can give here? If you keep coming with that attitude every time the church gathers, you will see God will speak to you. Because you are not on a contract. You are on a covenant. You are not looking for gain. You are willing to lose. What is there in for me? No, that's a contract. When two business partners come there, they will decide. Okay, how much are you putting in? Okay, I will put 60%. How much are you putting? I will 40. So when the profit comes, we have to divide it equally. I get 40, you get 60. But that's not the way you come into a church. You will say, you know what, how much can I give in here? How much can I give in here? And you will see sometimes people whom we never knew. We never met them. You have seen our Johan when he came from Bangalore. Remember Johan? He was an online listener and one day he visited us. The Sunday he came over here, right after service, he was doing what he always does. He was helping, putting away things, you know what? Because he's a giver over there, he's a giver here. It doesn't matter where you go. It's the house of God, it's the church of God, the covenant is the same. I am looking to see what I can give. In a church, do not be a taker. You're breaking the basic tenant of a covenant. You come with this attitude, I will give. And you're always blessed. You know why? Because the Lord says it is more blessed to give than to take. If you are a taker in a church, you stay there for 15 years, 20 years, you will be always be miserable because God cannot bless you. Because you are breaking the covenant. The covenant is based on loss. It is not based on gain. It's not based on gain. Out of that loss will come gain. That's a new life. The resurrected life of Jesus Christ. And then you see the marriage covenant. Ephesians 3.31 For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother. When this comes, it is lost. You lost. Let's say you're getting married at 20, 25. You had a home. You had the security. Your parents covering. They took care of you. Everything. But you are now leaving. It is death to an old life, complete death to an old life, that old life will never come back. It will be there, but it will never be the same again. Literally, that's why we see in all our weddings and in every wedding, the girl comes on the arm of her father and she leaves from there in the arm of another man. Her life will never be the same again. Never be the same again. It's over. There's death there. Out of that death will spring life. But that life is not the old life. It is the new life. 
Your old life died when you came to Christ. And the life that you live now is a new life. The old life died when you made a covenant with the church. And the life now you live is a new life that you always put the church first. Something has changed. You put the church first over there. Not first in everything, but the church comes. Unlike the other things, whenever the church is gathering, you realize, okay, you know what? I'm not engaged in something. I'm not at office. You know what? I'm going. But that was not your old life. That's a new life. Your salvation changes your life. Your covenant with the church changes your life. Your marriage radically changes your life. And Paul puts it about covenant and life and death this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For Why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in which you, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, I die daily. I die daily. Why should I die daily? Because I made a covenant to die and not to live. And if I live, he lives through me. He lives through me. Did you see that? Die to a new life, a resurrection life. Did I give you verse 32? Oh, I didn't give you verse 32. Verse 32 is there. That's important. That's why I was looking for that. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me if the dead do not rise? Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. You know what he's talking about? He says, after I got saved and Christ called me, my life changed. It was not the same. Every place I had to go, I had to literally fight wild men. Why? Because I died to the old life. Old life, those people would have been my friends. In the new life, they are my enemies. And I'm fighting them every day for the sake of the gospel. My life has radically changed. I have died to the old life. It's a new resurrection life. And it is true everywhere. You have to fight the bees in your life. The old man's nature is the nature of an animal. Pastor Vijay preached on Wednesday. We were, when we were sent out of the garden, we were sent out covered with the skin of animals. Old nature is the nature of an animal. You see that Cain is an animal who would kill his own brother. Animal nature. And you know when you enter into the covenant, you have to kill that. You have to die to your selfishness. My way, my way, my way, my way, my way. That's the animal in you. You will have to fight them every day. And tell God first, Lord, have your way, your way, your way. You will have to fight wild bees in your Ephesus before the new resurrection life can come. Understand how serious it is because like I said, whether you get married or not, it does not matter. The principle applies. You are either married to the church and you are married to Christ. Even if you are not married to a woman or a man, the covenant stands. You have a covenant personally with God. You have a covenant with the church. When you get married, you have a covenant with a person. Marriage is a covenant. In Ephesians 5 and verse 32 about this covenant, this is what Paul says. This is a great mystery. This is a great mystery. It's a secret. It's a mystery. As young children, they all like reading mystery novels. Why? It grips their attention. They sit at the edge of the seat. They realize some people can't handle it, so they go to the end and solve it. What is the mystery? Abigail is smiling from there again. What is this mystery? You know that? It's a, the covenant, the marriage is a mystery. Some people say, Lord, my marriage is not a mystery, it is history. (laughs) 
It's like the two men who were talking about it. One man tells, every time I try to talk to my wife, she gets hysterical. She cries and weeps. And he said, that's all. When I try talking to my wife, she gets historical. She brings everything from the past. But that's not what marriage is. It's neither historical nor historical. It is a mystery. God says, it should be exciting. Your relationship with me. Your relationship with the church. Your relationship with your spouse. You will discover new, new things. It should be mystery should be exciting. You walk with me. Your life within the body of Christ and your walk with your spouse should be a mystery. It should be exciting. It shouldn't be dull and boring. Girls are looking at me with big round eyes. Mystery. I didn't know this. It's a secret. Psalm 25 verse 14. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. And he will show them his covenant. He put the mystery and the covenant together. He says, you know what? In the covenant there are secrets. But if you want me to reveal it, fear me first. I cannot reveal those mysteries to people who take their vows lightly. They vow with me. They vow with the church. Or they vow with their spouse who take it lightly, irreverentially. I'm sorry. I cannot reveal those Mysteries. mysteries. You have to be serious. You have to fear me. That is why when the, the entire teaching in Ephesians 5 talks about the relationship with man and his wife, husband and wife, it doesn't begin with submission or love. It begins with fear. Ephesians 5 and verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of God so that he can reveal to you and to me the mysteries of the covenant. And one of the primary issues of marriage is not submission or love. It is there is no fear of God. There is no fear of God. Because if there is no fear of God, there will be no submission. There is no fear of God, there will be no genuine sacrificial love. Everything originates from that. Everything. God is not able to release the mysteries of the covenant you have with the church because he says there is no fear of God. He says, I have even more things to tell you about myself. But he says, there is no fear of God. So it begins with something. He has a covenant. He has secrets. And he says, I want you to fear me. Psalm 50 verse 4 and 5. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together to me. Those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Now he brings three things together. He brings covenant You cannot have covenant without sacrifice and he brings mystery and he says they are all together. If you have a covenant, there is sacrifice. And that's what Paul says. Why did God give so much revelation to Paul about the church and about God unlike any other man? Because he died daily. He was a living sacrifice. He died daily. Not my will, your will be done. Not my will, your will be done. Try that in your marriage. 
you will discover mysteries. You will bring out things which you never knew existed in your spouse. We actually say in English, you bring the best out of the other person, which was never known because there was no sacrifice, there was no covenant, and therefore the mystery was never revealed. But it's only possible if there is sacrifice, if there is a death. Whether it is a church, whether it is a church, ask the people in the church who have chosen to die to themselves and made every attempt possible to be with the church when they could have been elsewhere. They died to themselves and we became part of the church. You will see they know more about God than any one of us because they have been, things have been revealed to them. Whether it is with God, whether it is church or whether it is in a marriage, it's a mystery. And there is sacrifice. And God reveals it to those who fear him. So please keep this in mind. There is a covenant. If there is a covenant, there has to be a sacrifice. In the new covenant, it is a living sacrifice. It is not a dead sacrifice. It is a living sacrifice. And there is mystery and then there is revelation. And what happens as a result? Ephesians chapter 3 verse 8 to 10. To me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the age has been hidden in Christ who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Did you get the it is a loaded three verses. He's saying, you know what? When a man or a church or a couple lives by this covenant, if I am a man and I have died daily to Christ and become part of the covenant through me for the angelic host in heaven and the demonic is for the wisdom of God, the mystery of God will reveal through that life. Paul's life was a revelation of the mystery of God because he was a man wedded to Christ in covenant. Or it could be a church. And that church dies daily, is covenanted with God. Through that church, the manifold wisdom of God, the angels learn. What angels do not know, they can learn from a man or a woman who surrendered to God through a church or through a couple that is married. The mystery of God. When a couple who dies daily for each other, for God and for the covenant live, the angels look down and see, oh, this is how Christ and the church is going to be in eternity. Look at them, we see a picture. Paul is single. And his life is a mystery. The mystery of God, the wisdom of God is revealed through his life. Look at Isaiah chapter 51. Verse 1 and 2. Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness. You who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn. To the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you. He says, you know what? You want to know, understand more about me? I cannot really reveal to you because it's very difficult for you to understand. Instead, you know what? Look at that first couple. Look at Abraham. Look at Sarah. Look at their marriage. Look at how they finished. That's a mystery of God's relationship with his people revealed through a couple on earth. Look to Abraham. Look to Sarah. In Peter, what does Peter say in 1 Peter 3? 
Sarah. What does God say about Abraham? Father, God's friend. So Abraham and Sarah, through their relationship with one another, the manifold wisdom of God was revealed to the church. A couple. Paul, a single man. That's what I'm saying. Whether you are single, whether you are married, or whether you are a church. The primary purpose is this mystery of Christ. The manifold wisdom of God should be revealed not only to each other. Even the angelic hosts are learning from us if we are willing. They learn from us. They don't know everything about God. It's an unsearchable wisdom of God. They don't know. They may see him in whatever way, but they don't understand him. How do they understand him? Through man. The man who is surrendered. The couple that is surrendered and the church that is surrendered. The wisdom of God is revealed. That's why God puts such a serious premium on marriage. You take it seriously and God will give you a serious spouse. You take it lightly, you'll get a light spouse you can carry around. Ephesians 5 and verse 31. For this reason, Man shall leave his father, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. That's a mystery. How does two become one? How does Christ and the church become one? How does a believer in Christ become one? That's a mystery. How is it possible? How is it possible? How can God become one with man? It's like saying, give me the ocean. I'll fill my cup with it. Only God can do. How can God become man? Become one with man? How can Christ marry the church? How can two different individuals, one from another home, another setup, a girl from another home, another upbringing, how can they two become one? How is it possible? It's a mystery. But it is possible. You have to learn that mystery. And it is only learned by sacrifice. It is only learned by surrender. Surrender. Even if you are hearing something today, understanding something today, it's only because you chose to come here and surrender. Sat there, you have surrendered your body. Second thing, you have to surrender your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. The body can be surrendered, mind can be wandering all around the city or further. There has to be a surrender. There has to be a death to everything else that concerns life. Martha could sit there, would be in the same house where Jesus is teaching, but her mind was not surrendered. Her body was in the house. Her body was serving God, but her mind was serving anxiety. And therefore, the mystery what Jesus taught there today, we still do not know. The only thing we know is one thing God said. You know what? There is a woman here sitting at my feet, surrendered. And I will teach you a mystery that will never be taken away from her. That's the way you should be. One thing you need so that the mystery can be revealed. That's why you have to take it seriously. More than anything else you do in life. Anything else you do in life. When you come to God, there is surrender. and There is sacrifice. You know what? There is reverence. There is fear. There is awe. You know what? God will speak to you. God will speak to you. One word from God is worth 10,000 hours of teaching from Pastor James. One word you hear from him. Not even 10,000. You 
can put it into infinite. One word. You hear from God. So please understand. As we talk about a home. Or whether we talk about a church. Both our homes and both our families. We talk about institutions. And we talk about organisms. Now you all work in companies. Okay, what's a company you work in? Okay, I can't pronounce it. I will pick up Musk. David is sitting over there with Musk and Standard Chartered. It's an organization. In organization, you have what is called an organizational unity. It is outward. It's outward. Outward. Some companies have uniforms and they give you a tab. You go, scan, you get it. It's an outward organizational unity for a particular purpose. That unity, the minute you get out, that unity is gone. It's only for a particular purpose. It is an outward organizational unity. And in so many places down the centuries, the church has become an organization. We have an outward unity and the minute you step out of the door, it is gone. The next time you come in your uniform is on Sunday. Church is not an organization. Church was never an organization. Because your body is not an institution. Your body is not an institution. It's not an organization. It's an organism. The unity you have in your body is not an institutionalized outward unity. The unity of your body is much more internal. When the internal unity is gone, you are sick. There may be somebody who is sick today. You do not see because outwardly you see the institutional unity. But you may be sick inside because internal unity is gone. The church, your marriage, the church... It's not an institution. It's an organism. If you don't accept the internal unity, you will never become what God wants you to become. Either your marriage or the church. Look at how Paul puts it across in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. He doesn't speak in terms of an organization. He speaks in terms of a body, organism. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Every part. When you are sick, some part of your body has stopped supplying. Mahendra, some part of the body stopped supplying. And you fall sick. Every part of the body has to supply. Because it's an organism. It's not an institution. It's not an institution. Every part has to supply. Let's look at how he puts in Colossians 2 and verse 19. And not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished And knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. He's not using institutional terms. He's using medical terms, physiological terms as a body. 
You see, if you look at your hand, if you look at your hand, it has basically three sets of bones. Your bones may be perfect. No issues at all. But we have our hero here, Pranit here. What happened? The problem was with the joint and the ligament. His bone was not broken. He had a ligament tear. Or a joint. When this comes off the joint, you say you have a dislocated shoulder. What has happened? Is the bone broken? No. The joint, it came off the socket. The joint was dislocated. Or there is a ligament tear. Ligaments are the tendons that attach these two bones together. He was far beyond us. This man through whom God is teaching us. He says, have you taken a look at your body? He says, what keeps the bones together? It is ligament and joints. What happens if your bone is fine but you have a tear in your ligament? What happens if the joints come off? Everything slows down. Everything slows down. Let's look at it. Joints are the relationship of two members in the body. Ligaments are the attitudes that prevail in those joints. What holds these two together? Joints and ligaments. These are all members of the same body. Can be strong, can be very small. There is no joint, you will not move. Where there is no joint, you cannot move. If you are able to move, because there is a joint. And if the joint has to move, the joint and the ligaments have to work properly. The joint is hurt and the ligaments are torn, you will have relational problems. That's what he's trying to say. Ephesians 4.3 Endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Know what the ligament is here? It is peace. That's why scripture says, pursue peace with all men. What happens in a marriage? When the husband and the wife fights, what goes? Peace goes. There is a ligament tear. Now they are not moving properly. They are not moving properly. And the problem is when the husband and the wife fight, which also happens to be the father and the mother, the rest of the body gets affected. Rest of the body? Affected. The children are affected. You know why? Because there is a ligament tear. There is a joint tear. And there is no movement. If my shoulder is dislocated, you know what? My hand will be in a cast. Be in a cast. It's not able to move. The bond of peace. So God tells us, one, always have peace with God. Because ultimately you are connected to the head. Everything comes from the head. If you don't have peace with the head, Okay, let us say, oh, everything is connected well together. I have, I love my wife, I love my church, everything, but I have no peace with God. I'm not in the church, I'm in the world. Peace with God, peace with man. 
The first thing, what happens is when you get saved, you have peace. Peace. You are not an institution. You are a body in which through the spirit, peace flows. Okay? But if there is a conflict, let us say in the home, the peace goes. It affects everybody. Imagine Pastor Vijay and I fight. That happens in so many churches. So many churches that have problems. You know, the problems is not so much with the congregation. The problem is with the leadership. If there is a problem in the leadership, it affects the church. You know, in 14 years, we have no problems in the church and every problem has been solved because there has been never a fight between the two of us. Never. Not even once. Never. No fight. We have two pastors who have never fought. And I believe in God, never will fight. So it doesn't affect the church. If the parents walk in peace, automatically the peace flows into the children. And the children who don't want that peace, like the prodigal son, may go and then want to come back with his tail between his legs. Because you realize your going out did not disturb their peace because they still have peace with each other. They have peace with God. Now you want to enter that peace, come back. Come back. That's how it works in a home. That's how it works in a church. But if we lose our peace, then groups will join. Church splits into two groups. The Mallu group, the Telugu group. That's how churches are. All cancer groups. Can you identify in your body which is the Telugu part and the Mallu part? There's nothing like that. One body. The funny thing is that wherever he goes, they start asking him, are you Mallu? But wherever I have gone, they have never asked me, I'm a Telugu. <laughs> Understand fundamental principles because this is important. Because if the joints are hurt, the ligaments are torn, it will affect your home. It will affect your church. And ultimately, if you are single, it will affect your relationship with God. So the Bible says, put on the bond of peace. Where you are connected, there should be peace. If Peter has to fellowship with Samir, there has to be a bond of peace. There has to be a bond of peace. If Samir has to fellowship with Reni, there has to be a bond. They don't have to agree about everything, but they have to have peace. Agreement is a process. But peace is the base. You have to have peace. Without peace, you cannot build anything. That's why the first act of God is that He justifies us and therefore we have peace with God. The first thing God does is peace. And on that foundation of peace, you know what happened? We build the rest. And whenever peace is gone, construction stops. There's no more building. Construction stops. When is construction beginning again? When peace is restored. Construction stops. That's why we are called to pursue peace. As far as possible. With God it is easy. With man it is not so easy. That's why it says as far as possible within you pursue peace with men. But when it comes to God, you have to pursue peace. You have no choice or you will end up in hell. Peace 
Ephesians 5, uh, sorry, Colossians 3 and verse 14. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Joint? Bond is joint? Above all! Above all! More than peace! Above all! What do you need to have? Love. Now we have small babies here. We have a baby called Rima. We have a baby called Gracie. We have a little one called Atira. You know what? Sometimes you don't have peace with the baby. And sometimes you don't have peace with Atira in church also. Do they take her and throw out of the balcony? What is holding them? The bond of love. You can do whatever you want. You cannot let me sleep through the night. You can disturb me because of some bubble in your stomach. You know what? Because I love you so much, I will stay up and I will carry you back and forth and back and forth. You give me no peace, child, at all. But you know, I am bound to you by love. The church is bound in love. Bound in love. Peace. Love. Understand. That's how you know you belong to a church. Not because you got your name in the register. Your name in the register means nothing. The only place where your name counts actually is a register in heaven which is called the Lamb's Book of Life. Don't worry if you have no name on any register on earth. It is irrelevant. There's one book there. There your name should be there. But how do you know you belong? You belong. How do you know? Marriage is a ceremony. Wedding is a ceremony. The certificate doesn't make you married. That's only for the government. For thousands of years, there was no certificate. God brought Eve to Adam and he conducted the wedding and then he gave them a certificate. What did he write on? Fig leaves? That paper is worth nothing. That is all for official purposes. You want your, uh, what you call, Aadhaar card? You want your ration card? You want your passport? Show your certificate. That's all. You want a joint account? Show your certificate. Otherwise, that paper is worth nothing. What is a real marriage? Real marriage is this. You're bound in love. You're bound by peace. Bound by peace. So many marriages have become an institutional organization. They're bound outwardly like an institution. They have an institutional bond outside. But inward there is no unity. You know what it means? Abigail come here. These are all young girls. Abigail come here. Come Abby. You are the child. When they step out of the house, they hold hands. Institutional bond. When they come to church, they come together. Inside house, they are fighting all the time. Understand when a marriage becomes an institution? It is put together outwardly, not inwardly. Is your marriage an institution or an organization? Or organism? Sit, honey. What's your marriage? It's an institution. You go in, you swipe in. What are you? HSBC employee. Evening, you swipe, swipe and come out. Are you just busy employee? No. Yeah, you're a free man. Is that your marriage? Is that your marriage? 
that your church? So you come on a Sunday morning. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, brother. Institution. When you go out, are you still a Christian? Do you have the guts to greet each other that way in your office? And not be ashamed. I worked with the army as a chaplain. And when there were believers, drivers, when they saw me, they said, praise the Lord, sir. They were not ashamed. And when they're believer officers, they always saluted and said, praise the Lord, sir. They were not ashamed. That's how they did. Even in the army. Those born again, spiritual soldiers were not ashamed of who they were. They knew they were a soldier. But they knew they were a Christian. Are you ashamed? What is an institutional outward unity? Is there inward unity? We have to work at that inward unity, which comes from peace. You have peace with one another. You have peace with God. And above all, put on the bond of love. And what is love? Oh, I feel... No, put your feelings away. You will slip on it. Put it away. Can I have Corinthians 13, 4? Only the first one we will look. The rest we will look. We have looked many years ago. Love suffers law. How much did you suffer for your wife? Not because of your wife, for your wife. Everybody when they talk about their suffering, they say I'm suffering because of my wife, because of my husband. I'm not talking about that. That is not love. How much did you suffer for your husband? How much did you suffer for your wife? And still chose to remain kind. Rachel was a pain in the neck. But Jacob still was kind to her. Because he loved her. She didn't. Fourteen years he worked like a slave. Because he loved her and he was kind to her. Love suffers long, but is kind. Put on the bond of love. Because the church is full of different kinds of people. All kinds of people. And most of them, if you understand scripture, are babies. Not the babies at the back, they are more tolerable. The babies who are full grown. What are babies? Absolutely selfish individuals are the babies. They don't care two hoots about their parents. This is my need, feed me. I don't care where you are. I don't care what you are doing. I am hungry. I am wet. You do what you have to do. Don't expect me to be quiet because you want to do something. This is my need. Meet my need. The church is full of babies. God says, you are my child. You have to love them. You have to suffer them. Still be kind to them. Suffer them. A marriage in a church. Suffer them. And don't be unkind. Don't be unkind. This is the bond of love. The Corinthian church is full of babies. Each one says, I can speak in tongues. I can prophesy. All in the groups fighting with each other. And what does Paul say? Chapter 12, all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 14, all about how the gifts should work. Two slices of bread. In between he puts jam. And he says jelly. And he says what? Love. 
You want to put these two together to hold it together? If your life has to be tasty, let there be love. Otherwise, you are just an empty sounding symbol. Look at the order he puts in. It doesn't make any sense unless you have spiritual vision. Why would you have chapter 12 full of the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Chapter 14, the working of the Holy Spirit. And why is 13 about love? Because this is what glues it together. Don't operate without love. You can have all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have love, it will become a jangling sound. Sound. In the ears. So it does not matter who you are in a marriage. You most the most accomplished person in the world. You have reached the level of the CEO. CEO. You, your wife must have cleared the IAS like the two girls or three girls who cleared the first top ten rankers. The result came in yesterday. You may be an IAS officer. You may be an IPS officer. But when you come home, if you are not kind, you sound terrible in the ears of God. Marriages are not broken because of trouble. Marriages are broken because of unkindness. Because we are saved because of kindness. It is the kindness of God that brought us to his repentance. And he is the one man, one father, one spouse who has suffered long for 6,000 years and is still kind to us. And he says, that's what you need to be. Be kind. Be kind. Oh, this is the bond of love. What is love? Forget the rest. The first one itself is difficult. First one. And that's what marriage is. That's what the church is. There are only two entities here. My relationship with God, my relationship with the church, and our relationship in a marriage. And you cannot take it lightly because it's a mystery. And I'm talking about Christ and the church, says Paul. Ephesians 5.21 Yeah, I didn't give you 21? Yeah. Submission. It's an attitude. It's a ligament. Submitting to one another. Peace, love. Submission is an attitude. You think your marriage will survive if you don't submit to one another? Listen, most marriages, people are on the highway because they don't get my way. For this purpose, man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife and shall become one. And the fight begins. Which one? Submission is a ligament that holds the two bones together. If you don't submit to one another, your, boten, your, your joint will be damaged. You will have a ligament tear. And lots of, lots of marriages are in trouble. Lots of marriages are in trouble. They have joint problems and they have ligament tear. They have arthritis in their marriage. Osteoporosis. Degenerating. Marriage is degenerating. You know why? Simple because this. They don't submit to one another. One party says, submit to me. But I won't submit to you. That's not the rule. The rule says, you shall submit to one another. Submit to one another. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. If only God had stopped 
and put a full stop there, all the husbands would have been happy. But then he said, just as Christ loved the church and people are upset. Why did you have to say that? Because every time my wife will say, honey, I love you, but you don't love me as Christ loved the church. See, God put a standard. He said, you know, how did Christ love the church? He gave himself. Death. Not gain. Loss. And gave himself for her. Gave her pocket money. Took her shopping. No, himself. What do men say? Don't I provide? Is that what Christ tells you? Don't I provide? Because you should male answer to the cry of affection from the wife is that, don't I get you all the things you need? As if marriage was about things. Then you should have married, married a shopkeeper. He would have given you more things. But the plastic bag also free. <laughs> That's not what the Bible says. The simple question is here. Husbands, have you given yourself? Have you given yourself? Have you given yourself? Yourself. I have given her everything except myself. God says, that's not a marriage. That's a contract. Have you given yourself? These are the issues. When it comes to the church, Christ says, I gave myself. Every drop in my body, blood, my entire soul was poured out for you. I kept nothing back for myself. I gave you myself over completely to the church. And in return, God says, Church, do you submit to me? Do you submit to me? Though they are mutually exclusive, you have to put them also together. Husband gives himself. The wife submits herself in all things. You know what is happening? Two people have died. And what comes out is neither the husband nor the wife, it is Christ. It's Christ. It's a new life altogether, which is called the resurrection life. There is no man there. There is no woman there because both died. Man died by giving himself. She died by submitting in all things. Ultimately, what comes us is a third person. That is Christ, which holds the marriage together. And therefore, you die daily. Who dies? The husband dies, the wife dies, so Christ can live. And Paul as a bachelor understood it. He says, I die daily. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. But this life that I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Same individual principle, you bring it to the home. And you take the same principle, bring it to the church. Next Sunday, if you get ready and says, you know what? I am going to die. You know what? I want to sleep till 8 o'clock. But you know what? Today is the Lord's day. It's not my day. It's not even my day. It's called the Lord's day. It's not my day. It's not Sunday. It's the Lord's day. You know what? Even this day belongs to him, especially unlike the other days. I'm going to set it apart for him. I'm going to die to myself. You know one thing I'm going to do? I'm going to be in the house of God before time. You know what I'm going to do? I am not going to wait even for the worship team. I'll worship from home and go worshiping. You know what? I don't want to live 
I want to die. I want him to love. You come to lose. You will not go from here empty. You gain. What do you gain? You gain Christ. You gain Christ. That's what God is talking about. There's only one life that will be acceptable in eternity. It is the life of God. The life of God will not be manifested in anybody unless you're willing to die. It will not be manifested. You can't have two lives. You can have only one. Either I live or Christ lives. If I live, Christ dies. If I die, Christ lives. If both try to live, that means you have two heads. That means you're a monster called Hydra. Right? That's a Hydra, right? Two heads, right? The biology is still right. Okay, no? 1983? 82? No, it's not 82. 1980. Pretty good memory for biology. Not math. Okay, Pastor Vijay. There, I'll take your help. 533. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Another joint. Let us say this is the husband. This is the wife. Husband, love your wives. Wives, honor your husband. Needs are not the same because God did not make us the same. The wife needs love. The man needs reverence, respect. Understand that. Let me ask you this question now to the women. Do you respect your husband? At home? The way you talk to him? Or the way you talk about him to your friends. Is there reverence? Is there honor? Does the church talk about Christ with honor, with reverence? That's a relationship, right? Christ loves the church. Gave himself for her. And he says, church, will you honor me? Will you rever me? Will you please respect me? The same thing, God brings you into the home and says, husbands, would you love your wives as Christ loved the church? And he tells the wives, would you please honor? Would you please respect him? Because man doesn't want love. He wants honor. Needs are different. Man doesn't want a bunch of lovers. He doesn't want his wife to call him honey. He's not interested in those things. The only thing that sticks in his mind is that she disrespected me. She dishonored me in the home and outside. And if you don't rever your husband, you don't respect your husband, you know what? It will stick. Why? That's the way he was made. That's the way he was made. And the same thing applies. You can come here, do whatever you want over here, but the Spirit of God knows whether you are honoring Christ or not. And we have not honored Him. Here, the Spirit just departs. Every other activity is irrelevant if there is no honor. Because He's worthy of all honor and glory and power and praise because of who He is, the office. When it comes to man, the office and the man may not match, but still the office stands. Because the office was not given by man, it was given by God. 
honor. Understand, young ones, before you get married, get it right. Get it right. First Peter chapter 3, 1. Wives, submit to your own husband. Your own husband. Submit. See, these things don't change. Whether it is Paul who's writing or Peter who's writing, the relationship is the same. And you bring it to the church. Church, submit to Christ. He's your own husband. Submit to Christ. Wives, submit to your husband. And then, we don't have to read the whole thing. Yeah. Next verse, I gave you five. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husband. Joint is working well. No joint pains. No need for balm or icy. No need. It's moving well. You know why? It is bound by submission. To Smyrna, God could speak beautifully with nothing negative. You know why? Bound in submission. You shall be in ten days more in prison. Be faithful unto death. Yes, Lord. Nothing negative. Philadelphia, nothing negative. Five churches, negative. Things to be said. Two churches, nothing told. If you look at them, they both are very submissive to the will of God. And the woman that is mentioned is Sarah. Sarah, don't look at today, look at the culture they were living in. Sarah, I'm going to, we are going to Egypt. You are beautiful. They may kill me for your sake. So you say, you are my sister. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Not once, twice. Sarah, the Lord spoke to me. What? About Isaac. What about Isaac? It's time to get him married? No, he said, take him. Three days journey. And I have to offer him as a sacrifice. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Joint is working. There's movement in that family. God is there present. You know why? Bound by love. Bound by honor. Bound by submission. Works. Verse 7. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding. Giving honor to the wife as a weaker vessel. Weaker vessel. Meaning? What does that mean? It means a man needs more patience than the woman. That's what it means. Why? Because they are weaker. Weaker in what sense? Emotional. You have children sitting here and crying. Do you see any tears in any man's eye? No. You see tears in a girl's eyes. Why? Because they're weaker. So what does it mean? Don't get mad. Patience. No, they are different. They are not made like you. The usual illustration we use in missions is you are a steel glass. She said, porcelain glass. How do you treat? You don't treat the same. You treat it different. Here, take this cup. That is steel. You catch. Here, handle it carefully. When God made woman, he put a sticker on her back. Handle with care. Fragile. You know, airlines. Sticker. The people who are on those lines, they know it. 
they take it and put it aside because it has come. That's what God is talking about. Giving honor. What kind of an honor? Honor as to a weaker vessel. Understand her sentiments. Understand her sentiments. So woman deserves honor. Man deserves honor. That's a different kind of honor. That's the honor of headship. The honor of lordship. The honor of woman is completely different. It's the honor of headship or lordship. is the honor of a vessel that is emotional. Made emotionally weaker. So her needs are different. Her sensitivities are different. He says, honor her that way. And why? Because never forget this. Yesterday we looked in the Q&A. Never forget this. You are heirs together. Not separately. You are heirs together. Of the grace of life. That your prayers may not be hindered. You know why prayers don't get answered in most homes? That's next Sunday. Because even in prayer, everything spiritual, headship is with man. Man is the one who has to pray. The woman prays. The man is the one who leads in everything. And the man's relationship with his wife is not right. God will not listen to your prayers. And you will walk around with no breakthrough. Most of the problems you face in life is not outside. It is inside. Because our prayers don't go higher than the roof. It just comes back and hits us on the head. That's why we are depressed. If it had gone up, we wouldn't be depressed. Now I'm not talking about those who have spouses who are unbelievers. I'm talking about general. If the spouse is an unbeliever, then the believing spouse, the woman, if her husband is not a believer, she has to take, but very carefully, not leading, but slowly, strategically from behind pushing. Very careful. Even if he's an unbeliever and he wants to stay, he's still the head. Be very, very careful about this because offices matter. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 to 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that you may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. After that, so this is the order. God says, man, love your wives, honor her as a weaker vessel. Wife, honor him and submit him to him in all things. When you live that way, there will be hardly rebellion in children. Because what they see is the father loving and honoring his wife. What he sees the mother reverencing and submitting to the father. And there is no room for rebellion. Because when the father disciplines, the mother does not interfere. There is no room for rebellion. How does the work What is the family bound with? Peace, love, reverence, honor, submission. The children grow. Children grow. That's a home. That's a home. That's a church. We always blame the children. The children are not the problem. The parents are the problem. Children do not know God. The only image of God they will see unless they have an encounter with the living God are the parents and the next set of eldership. 
They only see the parents. And if they see this in the home, which becomes a replica of life in heaven, the children automatically understand. Because everything a child has to learn, she or he learns in the first 10 years. They don't learn by reading. They learn by watching. Learn by watching. So either say they, they see the kingdom of God or they see the kingdom of darkness. What do they see in our homes? What do they see in our homes? Understand. When you have all this, the ligaments, the joints, hold together in a home or in a church. What happens in the home, happens in the church. Ephesians 6.4 And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Who is it addressed to? Fathers, not the mothers, to the fathers. 1 John chapter 2, verse 13. I write to you, fathers. Both in the church or in the home, because a church is a composition of many homes. Okay? Both to the home and both to the church, it is written to the fathers. Fathers, this is what you need to do with the children. And you know what? In 99% of Christian homes, instruction has been outsourced to the mother. Absentee fathers when it comes to spiritual things. The Bible never says the mother instructs. The Bible always put the honors on the father. Fathers, 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 fathers. Genesis 2.18 I will make him a who is the father? The teacher. Who is the mother? The teacher's assistant. You know that? In the classroom? Teacher's assistant, that's what she is. They're working together. One idea, one plan, one aim, one ambition. You know what? We are instructing our children. But you know the difference between the teacher and the assistant. The assistant steps in only when the teacher is absent. A helper comparable to him. Somebody who will be Able to help him in his God-given office. Who will help him? Not run into conflict. But when fathers don't do it, what do you have to do? The mothers have to take her place. You have no choice. But that is not God's ideal. God's ideal is always the father leading the house. Ephesians 6.4. Let's read that again. You fathers, what should you not? Provoke your children to wrath. But bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Now you go to the parallel portion in the book of Colossians 3.21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Two things I mentioned. Be very careful. You don't cause either discouragement or rebellion in your children. The way you instruct. Two ways children react. Either they become rebels or they are very depressed. You know why? It's because either the father is missing or the father is very hard. 
and the mother doesn't help. Two things. Understand what Bible talks is very, very clear because this is not the wisdom of man. This is the wisdom of God. A generation becomes rebels or a generation goes into depression is because instruction was not received or instruction was so harsh and they were provoked either to rebellion, that is wrath, or they were provoked into depression. The problem does not lie with the children. The problem lies with the parents. Either it's absentee fathers, or conflict in the home, or fathers who are like the law and not grace and truth. Problems. Wrath, discouragement are the two results if the instruction goes wrong. God is a father. God is a father. Genesis 4, 6. God said to him, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? Two things immediately. First child. The first child in the universe. And the heavenly father comes and says, you are angry. You are depressed. Wrath. And I did not provoke you. I did not provoke you. How wonderful scripture is. The first father. God the father comes to the first child because he did not have his way. And he says, why are you angry? Wrath. Why are you depressed? Your face is down. Deal with it or the devil will take you and you will become a wanderer all your life. Children, be very careful because all these things happen. That's not an excuse for you. If you don't deal with your wrath, rebellion and your depression, you will become a wanderer like Cain on the face of earth. None of these things gives you license to do what you want. Everybody has their role in the kingdom of God. That's where you have to be careful. That's why we need discernment. No two children are the same. Whether at home or at church. Cain is different. Abel is different. The first two children. Absolutely different. In their nature, in their behavior, in their profession, in their acts, everything different. So when you discipline your children, you need to be very, very wise and use discernment. Because one discipline that can make a child could break the other. It is not the same way. That's how God deals. God deals as a father. And most of you sitting over here have two children. And every one of the father or mother you ask, they are absolutely different. We have one sitting here, Abigail and Emmanuel, like P and Pod. They are not the same. Joanna and Amman. They are totally different. All the children are different. And you need the wisdom of God. How to deal with them. That you don't provoke them to wrath. Or you provoke them to discouragement. You cannot have one cap fits all. Does not. The home. The home. The home. It's all given to the father. Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Are they one or are they three? One? Or are they three? They are three who are one. Are you married? Are you two or are you one? Hear, O Israel, the man and his wife are two. Did God say that? So they are one. Hear, O Israel, the God whose triune is one. It begins there. See, if they are three, then they will have division in the council they gives us. There is unity in the council of the entire scripture because the three are one. 
There is no discord among them. There is no disagreement because them. They are one in unity. And the same thing happens in the home. When the father and mother in Christ are in unity, the discipline follows. There is no discord. There is no discord. You know what it says? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Who is it told to? The fathers. The fathers, all the men sitting over here, married, unmarried. It is all told to the father. Be very careful, he says. The word of God should be lived out in your house. That's what it means. Not to put it on your head and this thing and write scripture and make on that. No. It says you live it out. Because children are visual creatures. They see. They are able to see whether you are true or you are a fake. Live it out. Walk it out. Work it out. Again repeated. 11 and verse 41. Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart, in your soul. Bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house, on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which the Lord your Father to give them like the days of heavens above the earth. You know the only place in verse 21, he brings heaven down to earth in the home. He says, if you walk by my word, you are one. And you walk according to my word. Your home will be a slice of heaven on earth. Your church will be a slice of heaven on earth. The only place guaranteed. The only promise you have where we can bring heaven down to earth is the home. And it's entirely dependent upon how you run your home. How the ligaments and the joints work. That's why we say don't take it casually. Don't take it casually. Know the truth. Only thing, if you messed up, don't worry. You always can start again, all over again. But only thing is that there are only two blocks to a restoration of any relationship. First is pride. Biggest is pride. Second is laziness. Pride. I'm waiting for him to come and humble. I'm waiting for her to come and say, that is the biggest block. Therefore, you have no peace. When there was conflict between the herdsmen of Abraham and herdsmen of Lot, and they are the only two believers in the entire land, the great uncle went and humbled himself before the nephew and said, we are brethren. There should not be conflict. We should know, have some boundaries. So you know what? You take the first choice. Therefore, there was peace between them because he humbled himself. The biggest block to reconciliation is pride. The second one is lazy. Laziness is usually with men. They take relationships for granted. Like I said last night, marriage, wedding is like buying a new car. The marriage begins afterwards, how you maintain it. 
many men maintain their marriages like they maintain their bikes. Mudguard gone, headlight gone, blinker gone. You have to kick it to not start. And running on fumes. Oh, and after some time, they're pushing to the petrol station because they ran out of fume. They never filled it. The marriages are also like that. Mudguard gone, headlight gone, blinker gone, and always on fumes. Lazy! To kill a marriage, all you need to do is be lazy. And pride. Home can be heaven on earth. Or home can be hell on earth. But please remember, home life did not begin on earth. It began in heaven. John 14, 2. In my father's house are many mansions. It didn't start here. Even before the first man built a house, there was a house in heaven, which was called home. In my father's house. In my father's house. Do you see how important this home is? How important this family is? How important the church is? Everything else will go. Some things will remain for eternity. Because in my father's house. The son said, in my father's house. The question is, how is our house? How is our house? Is there fellowship in the house? Is there communication in the house? Is there communication? Is there real fellowship? In the house? In the church? Now in a few minutes, church will be over. We put away everything. Then one group will go up. The GSS boys. They will never mingle with anybody. They will stay there until they call for prayer. Have watched them week after week after week after week. They will not mingle. Though some of them were here from the day the church started. Why? Why do you struggle to fellowship? Like we said yesterday, doctrine is pointless without fellowship. The purpose of doctrine is fellowship. Doctrine cannot stand on its own. It's like the pillars of this building. What's the point of the pillars without walls? You don't go and live, sleep in the patio. You sleep in the house. What makes the house different from the patio? It is the walls. The purpose of all doctrine is to see that we have rules how we fellowship. But the entire purpose of a home and a church and heaven is fellowship. 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 That's why this order, doctrine, they gathered daily for the apostles. Doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread. You see, fellowship and breaking of bread goes together. That is why we are one of the few churches in this city. From the beginning till today, we offer you a time to come and eat after service. Not just here, there too. Spend your time till the evening, as long as you want. Why? It is scriptural. That is how 
bond is made. Yesterday I said, right? Eat breakfast, eat fast and go. Lunch, at school. And then I get a video where the little one said, one message the little one remembered. What is that? Grandpa said, eat supper slowly and talk as much as you want. That is why it is called Lord's Supper, not Lord's Breakfast. Children will pick what they, they, you think they don't hear. They heard very well. Fellowship. Communication in the house. Is there? Because that's a ligament. That's a joint. When there is no communication, they don't work well. They don't work well. And that's what happens in a church too. The church can only offer a platform. But you have to make use of the platform. It's your choice. And there is sacrifice in it. And you have to be a giver in that. You have to give yourself over. Not just be a taker. If you are always a taker, you know what? You will get tired. You will get tired. You will get tired. When you look normal, you see, we have this home called LHO. We have special needs children. From them, we expect nothing. They can only take. They cannot give. So we expect nothing. But you cannot be special needs children sitting in church. Are you special needs? Are you special needs? Forever taking, 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 taking. Never giving anything back. And don't talk to me about your tithes. Don't talk to Modi about taxes. Tithes is not what you gave. Tithes is what you owe. So leave your tithes aside. What have you given? In your marriage. What have you given? What have you given? In all these years in the church. What have you given? We are not talking about money. We are talking, what have you given? Are you a giver or are you a taker? If you are a taker in a marriage, you will be miserable. You will be angry, miserable, upset, no purpose, because your prayers are going nowhere. But if you are a giver in a marriage or in a church, heavens are open for you. Open heavens. Open for you. These are things that hold a church together. These are things that hold a home together. Wherever you live. If you open your eyes and look around, there's always something to give. There's nobody who is here who has nothing to give. You always have something to give. Always something to give. If you have nothing to give, Right, take the names of all the people in the church and say, Lord, I have nothing to give. You know what? I'm going to set apart every day this much time to pray for my people. I'm going to pray. And I want to pray. And I want to pray for them. You have become a giver. Otherwise you will be miserable. Miserable. But that's not what a kingdom of God is. For he himself said, said Paul in the book of Acts, it's more blessed more blessed to be a giver than to be a taker. Giver than a taker. Right now, you sat and you took. As soon as benediction is over, the time begins for you to give. 
for you to give. It begins for you. Your time begins. Three hours you took. Now your giving begins. And you have to ask the Lord, what can I do here? What can I do through the day to keep giving? You know what? You look in the church. You look in history. You look in the kingdom of God. You look in homes. Givers are always happy. They are content. They are always content. You know what? You can never give out without an infilling. You cannot. That's why he said, you shall be rivers of living water flowing. Not stagnant, stinking waters. There's a spring. But if the spring does not flow out, it becomes stagnant. Your testimony stinks. You smell. People avoid you. People avoid you. Nobody fellowships with me. Why? Why? Because you stink. If you have to fellowship with you, you have to hold your nose. Because when they open their mouth, only complain, 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 gossip, complain, complain. That's not fellowship. That's gossip. That is slander. That's misery. No. That's not a home. That's a prison. That's not a church. That's a correctional facility. That's not. Get these fundamentals right. Because if he doesn't flow from above, we have nothing to give. But more blessed are those who give than those who receive. Because they have a constant inflow coming in. Constant. Whether you are young or whether you are old, it does not matter. When God spoke to Samuel, he spoke to him when he was giving. Samuel, little fellow, five years, six years old, little fellow, which little fellow wants to wake up when he is sleeping? Got up and ran to the old man. God spoke to him because he was giving. Giving. David was recognized as the champion of Israel because he was taking bread for his brothers. He was giving. Joseph's destiny changes because he went looking after his brothers who hated him. He was giving. Destiny changes for givers. Destiny is stagnant for takers. And fellowship is giving. Marriage is giving. Because Christ is giving. And he gives. What is the song that we sing? He gives. And he gives. And he gives. And he gives. You will never run out of resources if you are a giver. Never run out. Because there is an overflow from heaven into your lives. He who has will have even more. For what? To give. To give. Shall we stand? Shall we pray? Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. We have heard all of us have to repent for often we were takers. Or most of the time we were takers. We were not givers. We were in wrath. We were discouraged. We refused to die in a marriage. We refused to die in a church. We lived and our witness stank. Our life stank. 
And I pray today is a new day, a new beginning. And I pray as we come and we surrender, the altar will sanctify the gift. You will put away all those attitudes. You will help us to work at it. One day at a time to work at it. First in our homes. Then in our church. Then when we go out to our workplaces, there too. For you said you shall be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You said it's more blessed to give than to receive. The more we give, the more we become like you. The more oneness we will experience with you. As the God of Israel is one, the church and Christ will be one. For Christ is a giver. The church is a giver. And they are one. I pray this message will saturate our hearts and our minds. Filter through. It is not easy to die. It's easy to live. That's the old man. But Father, we should be able to say one day, like Paul, I die daily. And Christ lives in me. Thank you, Father. Thank you. As we go into a new week and a new month, I pray the hand of God would rest upon all your children. Help us to be like you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each one of us. Amen. Amen. Amen.